Today, for the fourth Sunday after Pentecost, we're going to reflect on the words of Jeremiah today uh, for our benefit, given to us and directed by the Holy Spirit, and especially because of what Jesus says in our gospel reading. What Jeremiah says, Jeremiah gives us a picture, I, I think very plainly, of our daily lives as Christians, which has been the same struggle for Christians from Jeremiah's day even up to our own. You notice in our Old Testament reading, Jeremiah starts out with a word of, of sadness, a word of disappointment. But then also at the end, we see that by faith and at the end, Jeremiah is able to praise God. He's able to sing praise to the Lord of hosts because Jeremiah is teaching us about Jesus. And Jesus' words in the gospel reading today, Fear not. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. God's grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus paints a rather bleak picture for his disciples and for us in our gospel reading. Not a whole lot of encouragement in there. But using Jeremiah as an example, we're going to look and see how even though Jesus paints a bleak and intimidating picture, we have reason to have hope. We have reason to trust his final words that he says today, fear not, don't worry, you're of much more value than anything in this world. But maybe if the picture was intimidating back in Jesus' day, back as many times we might think the good old days... We might be tempted to think that it's even worse today. But Jesus doesn't warn his disciples in the church of the dangers of this life because his time or our time is any worse than any other. Jesus warns of the dangers of this world because the devil and our fallen nature is the same. No matter the place nor time in history. Now the challenge is not for those who are swayed by the winds of politics. Jesus isn't giving this word, of encourage, <clears throat> this word of encouragement for those who have no moorings. Jesus isn't trying to give hope to those who have no anchor. Jesus, in fact, is trying to point out the futility of not having nor being anchored in his word. Jesus is not giving encouragement to those who are willing to compromise at the slightest hint of pushback from society. Those who one day speak positively for marriage out in public, and even maybe perhaps quote scripture, but then when it comes to their own marriage, they don't love, honor, and serve their spouse at home. They don't see and live out the picture of Christ and his love for the church, for the husband giving his life for his wife, and the wife respecting her husband, as the church does Christ. Jesus isn't giving encouragement to those who might say they're willing to die for their faith, yet don't bother to show up to church faithfully. Jesus is not giving encouragement to those who out in the world speak of opposing those evil Republicans because they don't love enough, but yet they also don't love the weakest and smallest among us, 
Jesus isn't giving encouragement to those who oppose those liberals for taking away the Ten Commandments from public, yet the Word of God is noticeably absent from their own homes in the form of teaching and devotion. Jesus is giving a word of warning and encouragement to those who repent, to those who trust Him even as they see sin in their own lives. Those who are ready and willing to stay faithful even when the world pushes us, even when it's not fashionable to be a Christian. Because, of course, anyone can see that it was perhaps fashionable to be Christian in the past. That is no longer the case. Jesus is giving encouragement to those of us who are ready and willing to hold ourselves and each other accountable to the standard of holiness to which we've been called. But we don't do it with scowls and trying to pull the splinter out of each other's eyes. But we encourage one another. We help one another. We get to know each other. We perhaps even study the word of God together being willing to sacrifice anything to hear and study, not only in our own homes, with our own families, but in Sunday school and Bible study. To us and every generation of Christians who've been willing to stand firm against these temptations to give up, to give up in the face of the world and even our own sin, Jesus says to the faithful, fear not. You've been purchased. You are more valuable than many sparrows. To our Old Testament reading today, even before Jesus' day, Jeremiah the prophet lived amongst the same challenges and temptations that we do. Jeremiah's time was not particularly any worse, nor any more dangerous than our time. So what can Jeremiah teach us today? Well, Jeremiah in particular is in the context of God's church, the people of God. In particular, this chapter 20. And it's quite quite interesting because chapter 20, what we read in our Old Testament lesson today, is after what perhaps in our context we might call after a church council meeting. Jeremiah had just told the leadership of God's house. Jeremiah had just told those in charge of God's people. And he's one of the priests is named Pashur. Jeremiah had just told Pashur the priest, who's in charge of the operations of the house of the Lord. Jeremiah said, the Lord will punish this house because they have refused to listen to God's word. Pashur, the priest, then had Jeremiah beaten up. How dare you call us to repent? In fact, the church had Jeremiah put in, you know, those old-fashioned stocks that you see in those kind of old movies in the westerns where a person's neck and wrists are held in a slouching, uncomfortable position. They said, Jeremiah, this is how we're going to reward you. Church leadership did not take kindly to Jeremiah the prophet telling them they needed to repent 
and hear God's word. To believe God's word, to live by faith, to call upon God and to forsake their sins. But the priest Pashur and all the others involved with the house of God and most of Israel, the nation, they said to Jeremiah, no thanks to the stocks you go. But what was, why were the Israelites willing to do this? Why was Pashur, the priest, willing to send a prophet of God, essentially, to jail? Because the Israelites, they began to be tempted to look just like the world. Oh, sure, they showed up at the house of God, perhaps. But the Israelites began to see they could benefit from being popular in the world. They wanted a reward right now. They could look and sound just like the worshipers of all the false gods, yet also try and keep a close distance with Yahweh. So before we got into our reading today, there's quite a bit of an exchange that goes on, and we'll hear a little bit of it. Because what were their sins specifically? Jeremiah said to them, or I guess I could say God said to them, God said and defined and specifically told them why he's threatening to send not, the church, not just the church leadership to slavery in Babylon, but the whole nation of Israel. Why was God willing to do this? He said in chapter 19, before our reading today, he said, because my people have forsaken me and have profaned the house of God by making offerings in it to other gods. God was furious that the Israelites were making offerings to other gods in his house. Now, it isn't just the location of this that God is upset about. God, of course, is upset, the first commandment, if we offer sacrifices to any other gods but him. But in particular, God said, you are offering sacrifices to other gods in my house. That's what makes it particularly heinous. Being in the presence of God is a serious matter. And it should be a serious matter for you. Even here, as we come where Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. Even as we gather around the very body and blood of Jesus, we need to take seriously the presence of God. The author of Hebrews says, you come to a mountain, but you don't see it like the people in the Old Testament did when they came to Sinai. You come to a new mountain, but it's the same God. And so Jeremiah is warning them to come to the house of the Lord in faith, in repentance and forsaking our false gods, because the Israelites didn't believe they were sinners in need of God's mercy. They had all the reward they needed and getting respect from their peers. They would sacrifice but not because they had received God's forgiveness. They had turned the sacrificial system upside down, that instead of sacrificing because they know God would forgive them, they were sacrificing to their gods of popularity, to an easy easy way of life. The people of Israel would sacrifice, but who was their God? 
Who were they looking to please? And those are good questions for us to think of regularly. Israel, the first question they were concerned with in their heart was not, what does God's word say? But how can I still be a Christian yet also have the respect of the world? The Israelites were sacrificing for other gods in the house of God, which then begs the question, what were they sacrificing? If they weren't following God's commands and sacrificing what God had lined out in the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament, what did these people sacrifice who called themselves the people of God? Listen to this. If you think our day is much worse than Jeremiah's, In chapter 19, God says, I am angry with them because they have burned their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal. The Israelites themselves were participating in child sacrifice. Yes, even in the Old Testament, children were thought to be a burden. Children and life was thought to be something that was for our use and our pleasure. Life was thought to be a mistake. And it is if you follow the gods of this world. This is one way the unbelief is... This is one way the unbelief of the Israelites showed itself, and yet still how unbelief shows itself today. When we're willing to sacrifice others for our own convenience, whatever that looks like. But you know, Jeremiah, the prophet, he was tempted in this way too. That's what I love about our reading today. In chapter 20, after being arrested by his priest, Jeremiah complains to God. Did you see it at the beginning of the reading? It's almost almost uncomfortable reading it in the English as it sits. Jeremiah says, God, I was deceived and you deceived me. Now, this English translation, it's just fine as it is, except the context helps us to see that God is not a deceiver. God does not lie. And when we read this English translation that Jeremiah says, God, you deceived me, it can seem that perhaps Jeremiah is accusing God of lying. But Jeremiah feels as though God has deceived him because he's taken his eyes off of God's word. Jeremiah is suffering, and he calls out to God. He says, God... You called me as a man calls a woman to marry him. Jeremiah says, God, you spoke of such wonderful things to me about forgiveness, about sacrifice and faith and your faithfulness. But God, look what's happening to me. Your own priests, your own church, they are threatening to kill me only because I was faithful to you. You see, Jeremiah, and for the matter of fact, you and I, we can feel deceived when we have the wrong gods. When we think that this life is where we will, where we will gain our kingdom, 
where everyone will bow down to us on our throne. When we're tempted to sacrifice gods to the gods of this world, which is really just gods to our own heart, to win the approval of unbelievers. We can feel deceived when we think this world is where we have eternal life, but it's not. We must remember that. We must keep even Jesus' words close to our heart that he speaks today, as painful as they might be. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. We see that we can trust Jesus because his warning comes true. When we do suffer, when we are often on the losing side for his name's sake, we can actually be encouraged by this. Because if it is the case that we are suffering for being faithful, which Jesus warns about, then that must also mean his promise of rescue and keeping us and rewarding us in eternal life must also be true. So in a sense, when the world persecutes us, they are actually encouraging us to remember that Jesus says, not only will you suffer, but also that you will endure, that you will be strengthened. By persecuting us, the devil and the world remind us that Jesus himself was persecuted. The light of the world, the darkness could not overcome. And so you see Jeremiah's story. His lament is a preview of Jesus' own passion and crucifixion. Jeremiah believes that he will also be rescued even though it feels as if God might be tricking him, Jeremiah knows that he in the end will be saved. Not by his strength, not by his might, but by God's rescue. Because you see, as you follow along in Jeremiah's words today, he speaks of a God who tests the righteous, a God who examines the heart and the mind. Jeremiah knows it's not his heart nor his mind that is righteous. Jeremiah knows he can't stand up to this test. He admits or confesses at the beginning of the reading that he had the wrong expectation. But here at the end of the lament, he says, the Lord rescues the needy. That's what Jeremiah finally confesses that he is and what we must remember as Christians here that we are in need. What did Jeremiah need? He didn't say, rescue me from these stalks. He didn't say, break me out of jail. He says he needs righteousness. He needs forgiveness. He needed his thoughts, his heart, and his mind to be cleansed, and so do you. Jeremiah needed to be saved. He needed a cleansing from outside of himself, and so do you. The good news is that you have a Savior who gives you just that, who sacrificed himself for you. For Jesus was not just like the prophet Jeremiah. He wasn't just like John the Baptist, whose birth we celebrated yesterday. Heads up, six months till Christmas. Jesus wasn't like John the Baptist or Jeremiah, 
because they're suffering. John losing his head. Jeremiah being arrested by his own church. Their suffering does nothing for us. Perhaps it encourages us. But the suffering and the death of Jesus, who is true God, that, gives, that Jesus can give you a promise to stand firm on, that he is faithful to the end and provides the help you need. Jesus provides a cleansing that washes all your sins, even if you have participated in abortion, even if you have neglected God's word, even if you have despised your spouse that God has given you. He is here to help you, to give you eyes, to give thanks and rejoice in the very life that God gives you, the lives that he's given you to help others in and to rejoice. Because, because of the righteousness of Jesus given to you by faith, he declares you forgiven. Perfect forgiveness. He gives to the needy a righteousness that is a help unto eternal life. And you know what? It can't be taken from you. As big as the threats of the world are, as scary as they sound, it is yours. The only, that's the only way Jeremiah can say in his reading today. That's the only way he can, he can rejoice to a God who he says examines the heart and mind. Perfect righteousness, perfect forgiveness. That's the only way Jeremiah and we can say, Lord, examine my heart, examine my mind, because we believe that God has forgiven us and cleanses us from every sin. Jesus, who created this universe, he becomes the needy one before God. And he gives us a rich inheritance. So do not throw away this birthright as Paul encourages us in our second reading. Don't throw away your birthright as being sons and daughters of the king for the reward of a slave, for a meager crumb. You are children of the king. And by faith, you remain in God's house forever. Jesus was led not to Babylon, but to the cross where the power of Babylon is taken away. Where the power of Babylon is destroyed. Even if you've voluntarily walked into Babylon with your sin and perhaps even been proud of your sin. Today, Christ encourages you. Christ calls you to turn from your sin. Do not be slaves to sin like money or porn or envy. Do not be children of anger, nor impatience, nor malice, nor hate. For the Son of God has set you free. The Son has given you His birthright. The Son has given you an inheritance. And no one can deny that the Father has called you His children, washed you, and places you in His house. What can the world do to us? When they persecute us, when they hate us, they only further confirm that Christ is risen and His promises are true. So may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord.